0: So this is a um, take notes kind of sermon. So if you've got a piece of paper, um, I would love it if you kind of wrote this stuff down because uh, the title of my sermon today is called The Five Stages of a God Vision. The Five Stages of a God Vision. If I were to ask you, um, how many of you um, do New Year's resolutions? Raise your hand. Uh, if you say I do actually news resolutions, I should write them out and do them. Raise your hand, okay. How many of you are adamantly opposed to doing it because you just fail every year? Uh, when you do it, raise your hand, okay. Um, I would encourage everybody to actually take some time to set goals. Um, it's a helpful practice, I think, for people who are serious about their lives. Uh, I've been doing it diligently for probably about six years, and it definitely has an effect on me. I only reach maybe 60% of my goals for the year and I'm totally fine with that. That uh, at least I have a direction uh, of things that I'm trying to do and gives me a forward look. It really helps me go back to work on Monday, <laughs> even though I'm not, I'm gonna go skiing instead, but that helps me get back into the groove of working. Um, but I wanna go beyond New Year's resolutions today and beyond um, goals. And I wanna ask you about your vision and maybe have some time this week for you to think about what your vision is. And a friend of mine, Don Reverts, his favorite question to ask people was, what are you dreaming about? And I have adopted that question and I ask people that question all the time. And it gets you into a totally different space with people uh, when they, when you ask them what they're dreaming about. It's a much better question than how are you doing. Um, but prepare to listen because some people pause for about 20 seconds and they'll start telling you their dreams and I often get the question, the, the response on that is nobody ever asked me that question. So what are you dreaming about? Like I, I, you know, besides just putting your one foot in front of the other this next year and trying to slug through an inflated economy and uh, dragging on with COVID and the great resignation, and all that, but what are you actually dreaming about in your life? And do you have a vision for your life and for your future that um, God's placed on your heart what what are you dreaming about? When Don Reverts asked this question of John Hickenlooper, John Hickenlooper was our mayor at the time. And he said, you know, I'm just, I would love to find a way to get the faith uh, entities within our city to really pay attention to the homeless issue. Out of that was born the Families and Seniors Homeless Initiative. And I believe 1,000 homeless people were mentored uh, through about 300 congregations during the course of that program. Just from one guy asking that question and then God moved that thing along. And, you know, we were part of the fishy program early on in our existence here at Providence. But what are you dreaming about? What is your vision? I've talked with many of you in the church and a lot of you have, have visions and I love hearing them, uh, especially as it relates to the kingdom of God and his expansion, uh, in our city. But when, when you actually do have a vision, what I want to do is actually take you probably something I've learned over 25 years, um, I am a visionary person and I definitely have tried to execute on a number of visions and I have failed at a number of them and have succeeded in a number of them. But I have learned through the scriptures and through my own experience that visions go through a process. And I think for the Christian, it's different than you're going to read in any like secular vision literature. And so I, I chose like Exodus chapter three because Exodus chapter three Uh, is when God gives probably a vision that none of us would actually ever want to be given. And that is go in front of Pharaoh and you're going to help lead my people uh, out of slavery. I mean, that to me was probably a bone rattling vision there in the burning bush. So what are the, these are the five stages, I believe, of a God vision in your life. The first stage is I would say there's a call of God, where God actually says to you, I want you to go do this. Now, there's different ways that God makes that um, revelation known. We actually wish it looked like a burning bush all the time because it's so clear. (laughs) There is a bush that's on fire and it's talking to me. Uh, God often, uh, through through the scriptures, gives his call through direct communication. He told Noah, you know, go build an ark. Um, He told Jonah, go to Nineveh. Uh, He told Mary, uh, I'm going to deliver uh, Jesus Christ through you. He told Saul on the road to Damascus, arise and go into this city. He said to Peter, you're the rock, and upon you I'm going to build the church. So there was this direct communication from God. Sadly to say, that's only a minority of how God actually really shows up, because he doesn't always put the handwriting on the wall. He rarely does it. It's only during rare circumstances. So then how else does he lead and tell you about the call? Um, I think in scripture, you see that he often leads to a burden or a desire. When Nehemiah, if you read Nehemiah chapter one, he actually looked at Jerusalem and saw the walls uh, broken down. And the Bible says in Nehemiah 4, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and prayed to the God of heaven. So God burdened Nehemiah's heart. We don't have any revelation uh, that God told Nehemiah to do this. He just—he just was burdened for it. Uh, the Bible talks about in Timothy, First uh, Timothy three, that if if somebody desires the office of a pastor, they desire a good thing. One of the reasons I know I'm I'm called to be a pastor is because I desired it. I wanted it. I sat in church a lot and said, "This is really, really bad. There's got to be a better way to do it." And I realized that was my enneagram eight, but also just his passion God put in my heart to lead His church. Uh, Thirdly, though, in the call, God sometimes will lead through authority. Um, When David was anointed to be king, we have no uh, revelation that God told him he was going to be king. Uh, We don't necessarily think David had a burden to be king, but it was Samuel who came in and said, find me that little boy on the backside of the desert there, and they anointed him king. Um, When Mordecai approached Esther, uh, he said to Esther, hey, uh, maybe uh, you are come to the kingdom for such time as this. Maybe you are the one that God has in store. In Acts chapter six, we see the elders of the church, the apostles actually appointing deacons. So if you have a spiritual leader coming to you saying, Hey, I've noticed this in your life. And I really think maybe God's doing something here. I think it's something you got to pay attention to. So I say there's direct communication. There's a burden or there's a desire or often there's authority that God uses in your life. And then sometimes God just puts you in the middle of circumstances where you're required to lead. We think of Joseph. Um, We don't necessarily think any of these previous three tests work with Joseph, but he actually fulfilled God's vision that he had for his life. Uh, Job was that way, Daniel was that way. Under really difficult circumstances, they just acted godly. But regardless, the first stage of the vision is something uh, God reveals to you some way that I believe this is where you should go with your life. Then you move into the second phase is your response. How do you respond to God's call on your life? If you look at the passage in Exodus uh, 3 and verse 11, um, you know, you see uh, Moses's response there. Uh, His response is fear. Who am I that I should go and deliver the people? Uh, You'll often find that when you have a God-sized vision that God places on your heart, your first response is going to be fear. And coffee cup verses about fear not is not going to help, okay, because it's just true that when God calls you to something, he's going to call you to something you don't feel like you're able to pull off and that you're ready to do. Um, It's actually one of the ways you can tell if it's from God is if you're scared to death, okay? This is a real comforting New Year's sermon for you. Now, I would say if you're actually not afraid, it's probably not of God. It's probably just your own desires and what you want to do. And if you look at it and go, yeah, I can do that. It's probably not a God vision. Okay. Um, Abraham and Sarah, you know, God basically says to them, you're going to have a child in your old age. And, you know, they laughed. Why? Because they're scared. Like, man, who wants to be a parent at that age and how could that actually happen? Uh, Moses basically issues a list of excuses. You know, I I can't do this. Of course he had a murder homicide in his background. And so, Um, this fear came up in his life. Actually, I I find this with Christians a lot too. Fear can show itself in also a judging of our motivations. Uh, We wonder, um, am I rightly motivated by this? Especially if it has involved with anything with making money. Somehow, some pastor somewhere um, told you that it was wrong to actually think about making money. But that can be very much part of a God vision in your life as well. Uh, sometimes, when the vision would result in perhaps you getting some attention or accolades, then people can second guess their motives as well. I think that's just another form of fear. I tell people just put one foot in front of the other, work on your motivations, but do what God's called you to do. Your motivations will never be 100% pure. But if you feel incapable for this vision God's called you to do, it's probably the will of God because that's what that's the work He wants to do in your life. So Now, when when your response, then when the fear comes up in you, you can respond one of two ways. You can disobey or you can obey. Uh, Disobedience uh, is what happens when fear paralyzes you. Uh, Jonah, uh, in Jonah, chapter one, verse three says, Jonah arose and flew, uh, fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Uh, Moses almost said peace out to the mission because he gave God these five excuses. Hey, I can't speak. They're not going to listen to me. Um, You know, uh, who who am I going to say sent me, you know, Um, and that can lead to this disobedience. But then there's also obedience. There's obedience here. That's caused by faith. You actually let faith override the fear. If you go to Hebrews 11, we won't do that for sake of time this morning. The Bible says that, that Moses moved forward because he did not fear the wrath of the king. In other words, his trust in God was actually greater than the paralyzing fear he had about speaking in public. Uh, when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son, um, you know, but he says he, he woke up in the morning and he saddled his donkey. He exercised faith. Uh, Hudson Taylor said, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they believed that God would be with them. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they believed that God would be with them. You can't find uh, a leader in the scriptures that did not have some flaws or some things that would have made them rationalize themselves out of doing God's vision for their life. Um, I got a call from Josh Larson about a month ago and, uh, you know my son spurgeon is friends with his son braden and you know they go to the school up the street here called cole and we had some conversations this summer and what came out was that there's just not a lot of boys in the school that have fathers in their in their home And this became a real burden to Josh. He's been doing a real study on fatherhood, and I've been watching Josh on this journey. And he's reading a book called Intentional Fatherhood, and I've been kind of watching Josh do the journey. And then he tells me this story. He calls me and says, "Hey Jason, I've been burdened about doing something for the boys at Cole." And uh, he said, "I I was cooking uh, dinner or something, and I and I had this thought, like maybe I should just cook them a meal." Then I started googling and thought. Are there anybody that, anybody that cooks meals for public school students? And he found this group up in Minneapolis that did this. And uh, so he calls me and tells me the vision. I'm like, hey, Josh, I'm so glad that God's called you to this vision. This is awesome. And he says, yeah, He goes, the problem is, like, I live in Park Hill. And he goes, your house is, is one block between Manuel High School and the Cole High School. So he goes, actually, I want to accomplish the vision at your house at six o'clock in the morning and cook these kids breakfast. And I was like, oh, oh, and, I, and he goes, I want you to help. I was like, oh, oh so, so now this is not just God's vision for you. You're telling me God's vision for me too, right, Josh? He's like, yeah, you want to fly up to Minneapolis and look at this thing next week? So we took our boys about three weeks ago, flew up to Minneapolis for a day and looked at this uh, couple that started a Bible study that um, basically started with their two daughters and 10 classmates and now has blossomed to like 450 kids. And I went and saw it with my own eyes and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. We sat at the Starbucks afterwards debriefing with the founders. And of course, I didn't want to sit there. And I was probably the reluctant person in the whole group, um, not really thinking I needed one more thing in my life. And uh, but I was like, if my boys, my boy wants to do it, I'm going to follow him. You know, I'll just do what God's laid on his heart. So I looked at him and I said, hey, uh, Spurgeon, I said, are you how do you feel about this? I mean, is this something you want to do? Because I'm not going to walk through the halls and invite kids to a meal at our house. He goes, oh yeah, dad, I'm in, I'm in. The big question, dad is, are you in? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> when your 10th grade son calls you on the carpet, you know, you have to like, you know, respond. And he goes, cause dad, I think, you know, you gotta understand, like, you know, we're gonna have fights in the house. Like there's gonna be fights. Are you okay with that? You care okay that furniture getting messed up? And I said, what do you mean we're gonna have fights in the house? Cause yeah, dad, fights are good things. Like, you know, fights settle a beef quick and that just needs to happen. It happens and it's a good thing. We all agree. Uh, we don't like getting jumped into gangs and stuff, but fights are okay. Are you okay with that in the house? <laughs> you know, I was sitting there going, I don't know. What am I really signing up for here, you know? Um, but all those kind of fears, and but, but I actually saw God, like, moving in my son's life. And I'm like, how, how could I not uh, get behind this and uh, kind of see this happen, you know? Um, I don't know how it's all going to work. Um, I'm 48 years old. I I think I can connect with my 10th grader, but I don't I don't necessarily connect with all of his friends, you know. But I have all these fears kind of rising up in my life. But I but it's almost like I'm getting dragged by Josh and Braden Spurgeon into this thing, um, and I have a I have a, I have a decision. So am I, I going to exercise faith here? Or am I going to let ration uh, and rationale and like logic kind of override this thing? So this is just the stages that it goes through. So after you get through that stage where if I decide, I'm, I am going to exercise faith in this, in my response, you enter the third phase of a God vision. And that is the test. This is the test. Because, and this is actually where most visions fall. The richest place in our world is the graveyard. Because it's where the dreams and visions that are unfulfilled in people's lives have died. God actually, we actually think that once we say, I'm going, and God says, go do this, and we say, yep, God, I'm going to go do it, then God clears the way, right? He just, he's behind it, his power's behind it, uh, there's no weapon formed against us that's going to prosper, and he's going to just clear out the path. It's exactly the opposite. (laughs) God tests you. I don't understand this because I'm like, I already thought I passed the test. I said, yes. And and God's like, no, no, you just said you're going to be um, a Marine. But you got to train to be a Marine before you actually become a Marine. So I'm going to put you through a time of testing. If you go to Exodus chapter 5 and read in verse 21, when, when he actually goes before Pharaoh and gives his plan, Pharaoh actually turns on the people, makes their life way more difficult, says you're going to make bricks without straw, and the people turn on Moses and say, you, you say you're a great deliverer to us, but you just have made our lives much more difficult. I mean, can you imagine how confusing that is for Moses? Uh, Abraham and Sarah. You know, God, I think, gave the promise to Sarah when she was 66 years old. And I don't think she had the she had the baby till 20 to 30 years later. You know, they're gonna have this kid. There's this time of testing. Um, and, and this is a this is a, a time where we actually feel like quitting because we thought it would be easy. Let me tell you this: extreme difficulty in executing God's vision is never a sign of it being not God's will. Extreme difficulty is not a sign that God is not in it. I often hear Christians say, well, God closed that door. And you actually dig deep. It just means you got tough. If it gets tough, that's just God testing you, right? It's, it's probably a sign that you're doing the right thing, but God's wanting to do something in you. So beware about this idea of closed doors uh, being this, this cover for, for just difficult execution of the vision. In this testing time, you actually have one of two choices: you can wait uh, and and let God work on you, or you can manipulate. And this is why we manipulate because God gave us the vision, we said yes, and then it's not working, and we think, oh my, oh man, what am I going to do? I got to I got to figure out how to make this work. So we might go take out a ridiculous loan, right? We might try to rush God's timetable. We might say yes to a relationship sooner than we should have. Um, Sarah got the promise from God. She's had this baby uh, in her mid 60s. And she was in her mid 70s, and the baby still had not come. And so, what does she do? They hack out this plan for Abraham to go sleep with their maid. And we still today live with the consequences of that decision made by Abraham and Sarah. They manipulated because they felt like they needed to help God out. During this testing stage, um, you need to wait on God. Because God is actually primarily concerned not with the vision at this point. He's concerned with the visionary. He is concerned with you. He wants, first of all, there to be a death to any selfish ambition in this vision so that God gets the glory. He wants you to feel the pain of loneliness in a spinning your wheel so that you actually learn this is going to be really dependent upon him. He teaches you how to endure criticism by even those who are close to you. It is often characterized by feelings of despair during this testing time. Now, you might say, well, I know some people, man, it's like they have a silver spoon in their mouth. Every vision that they ever want to execute just happens and whatever they touch turns to gold. Let me tell you, that's the 0.001% and it's true. Uh, but God only does that to very unique people, and He does it for a different reason. Okay. Most of the people that God works with, you go through these, these stages. Uh, and so I tell you, in this stage, learn to wait. Psalm 25, verse 5 says, Lead me in thy truth and teach me. You are the God of my salvation. On you do I wait all the day. Lamentations 3, 26. It is good that a man should hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. What is God doing? He's refining the vision. He's maturing the visionary. God does not need better ministries. He is yearning for better men and women who who will be ministers of him forever. It's not that God's not ready or the vision isn't needed. He's basically saying, you're not ready yet. You say, well, then how do I know when I'm ready? You don't. You never will. You never get to look at the timer on the cl- on the stove and say, "Is is it is it done? Is it cooked all the way through?" God's the only one that knows that timetable, and that's the beauty of it. It is during the testing phase that you actually begin to wonder, um, "Could this? Maybe this will never happen, right?" This is actually where God does His greatest work. You, you but you do you start to question things a lot. Does God really care about me? Does he really uh, behind this? Then you enter into stage four when God's done with stage three. And I would say this is the stage of confirmation. When when I think God thinks you're ready, you have matured to the point where you can actually handle both the vision and all the things that come with it. Um, He moves the obstacles out of the way. And he does it with ease. And when he does it, you are just amazed. Because it was so hard, and then all of a sudden becomes so easy. Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. Um, God actually reappears to Abraham and Sarah after they sinned in the Ishmael situation and says, hey, I, in Genesis 17, I'm going to give you a son. And I'm going to do it the way I originally thought. Even though you manipulated things and messed things up, I'm still with you. Moses, um, God finally comes around and sends the plagues of uh, to Pharaoh, to Pharaoh and, and Moses execute those. And God actually, the vision happens, and they walk right out uh, of the city with the blessing of Pharaoh and the loot from Egypt. This is uh, this is that time where you actually grow in your view of who God is, and you actually realize it was Him that was doing it. So then he gets the glory for it. And then stage five is vision fulfillment. This is when it actually happens and you see it and you feel it. And, um, you know, the people are set free. Uh, Isaac is born. Peter preaches at Pentecost. Esther delivers the Jews. Nehemiah rebuilds the wall. I mean, these are the beautiful uh, stories of the scripture. So I asked you at the beginning, what are you dreaming about? And there is a vision that God has placed on every person's heart, regardless of age or their place in the kingdom, that he wants them to do. And I say this because I think sometimes we let our visions um, sit on the back of our mind and sit there for a really long time and not act on them. And I just want to encourage you to start walking down this path and taking some faith steps. Uh, I know people in our church have started nonprofits this past year. Um, uh, uh, Laura Fuchs is uh, starting a a business. It's a beautiful business. And she's, she's moving through all these stages. I can, I can watch it happen in her life. Um, But I think God's placed all kinds of visions on our hearts. It might fit within the, the institution of the church. It might be outside the church. It might be at your workplace. It might be a vision you have for your marriage. It might be something you have for your children. But, I, but God starts to move in your heart. And I just want to encourage you to start moving down the path and watch God do great things. My son and I went to a play uh, in downtown Denver last night at the Denver Center. And I think it was the worst play I've ever seen in my life. Uh, because it was all a hedonism, self-centeredness, the entire moral message was just take care of yourself, and then good things will eventually happen to you. It was like it was the worst. It was the worst of the worst. And I, I think why I was so discouraged walking away from the play is because I actually see this happening—the malaise in our culture of just kind of like moving through life with no meaning. And I told my son on the way home, I said, "Nothing discourages me more than than meaninglessness." And as as children of the kingdom, God has given us meaning. Uh, he's given us a message. And he's given each of us an individual vision for our life. And he's also made us part of a body, which is a corporate vision as well. And it is worth it to walk down this road. I um, close with just sharing you just where I'm at on this vision with uh, the boys. Like we did our very first event. I don't know if you can see it there, but um, we took the boys out uh, airsofting, And uh, that was our first event. Uh, Time with the boys in their class, and so we're gonna have our first lunch um, on Wednesday of this week. Josh is cooking wings. Um, am I scared? Sure. Am I nervous about it? Yeah. Um, it's I, actually it's not hard to pull off a wings lunch. It's all the things that are gonna happen as a result of developing relationship with these boys. take time right it's gonna take money it's gonna take volunteers it's gonna take um entering into the mess of people's lives you know it's gonna be leading it's gonna be full of conflict you know that's the stuff that i i constantly at my stage of life have to like pray about and ask god to restore my soul on those things because there's a price that comes with it in the kingdom When God gives you a vision, the end of it is not a a celebrity platform. It's not to make you an influencer in culture. It looks a lot more like an old rugged cross. When God gave the vision to Jesus, and Jesus obeyed, and Jesus went through the test and Jesus received confirmation. The fulfillment of the vision was death on a cross for the Christian. Rather than me on the front page, it looks more like dying to ourselves so that others can live. And if that's what your vision that's being hashed out in your head starts to look like, or at least the cost associated with the vision is probably in line with the heart of God. Because greater love has no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. So um, as one of your pastors, I just want to pray for grace upon you. Um, I first want to encourage you to speak the vision to somebody else because it gets it out of your head and it starts making you accountable to do something in your life that God's laid on your heart to do. And then if I can be a prayer partner with you or a coach with you, or just encourage you uh, to test this and see if it's from the Lord more than willing to do that. I'm sure your small group leader, a CG leader will be willing to do as well, but let's not die uh, and put our visions into the grave and uh, see the Lord one day and have any regrets because he has all the power, and the resources in the world. Uh, he's looking for people whose hearts will be faithful towards him.